Well, morning, y'all. That was fun for me. Gosh, I love it, man. When the, when the spirit is just so undeniably moving through music, it's just incredible, man. It's amazing. I, I, thank you all for showing up again. Um, this is not near as fun when I'm in the room by myself. Although I could have had a good time right then by myself. <laughs> Uh, we're going through this series together, and this has been fun. It's part of our year of the Bible. And as we've gone through the year of the Bible, we sort of stopped and camped out here in these letters that Paul wrote his churches. And Paul had these, a church in Galatia and a, and a church in Ephesus and a church in Corinth, and he wrote them some letters. And so we're just spending some time in these four letters and we're going through and just sort of seeing uh, some of Paul's writings. And we're overlaying them with some, some of the words of Christ. And we're just allowing God to speak into us in a brand new way. And everything sort of centers around this verse from 2 Corinthians 6, 14. And it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And we had a picture of this last week. I don't think we have the picture of it this week. But it's a, um, a yoke is this thing that cows or donkeys or, or ox war, and it was a way that their master could control them, their master could drive them. So the yoke is the big wooden thing around the neck of these animals that, that are worker animals. And this, this picture is Paul saying, I am a slave to Christ. I have willfully become a slave to Christ. I have taken on the yoke of one who is a servant, of one who belongs to Christ. And so I'm not yoked together with the people of this world because my God is not, is not their God. My, my master is a different master. And so it doesn't make sense for two people who have two different masters to be yoked together. And the whole point of this thing is if you don't look different than the world, if we don't talk different, if we don't act different, if we don't think different, if we don't live different, then it's possible we're not really serving a different God. And so we're trying to make sure that we're yoked to the God who created the world. And so we've been going through and looking at some of these things that set themselves up against the glory of God in our lives. And we're looking at some idols these lower G, lowercase gods that try to steal God's glory by exalting themselves above the glory of God in our life. Guys, this is not an easy series we're on. Because for all of us at some point, there's going to be some conviction. There's going to be some stirring in our lives that say, hey, maybe I should reorder my life in a new way. Because the four little gods we're looking at are complicated. The first one we looked at last week, and that was money. And, uh, you know, um, again, I'm, thank you for coming back after we talked about money, because I know every, everyone loves a money sermon. And the other three gods that we're going to look at are sex, family, and self. And so today, and I warned you all, so if, if, if you're here, I warned you, today we're going to talk about sex. Because I just got this feeling, y'all need sexual healing. <laughs> 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 I've waited all week for that. <laughs> it was like I called my brother. I was like, I'm preaching about sex, and all I know so far is I'm going to sing this song. And he was like, Keep going, bro. You're on to something, man. Keep going. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about sex. And listen, today's message is not to make anyone feel condemned. If you have thoughts or desires that run counter to God's good, pleasing, and perfect plan for sex, well, guess what? You're in the right place. 
Because there are only three categories of people in this room right now. Those who are struggling with this, those who have struggled with this, and those who will struggle with this. But we've all been or all will be on the struggle bus at some point, and the struggle is real. So if you are struggling with this, if there's something in your life or some thought or something, you're in the right place. You're amongst those who have struggled. None, none are innocent on this one. And so we will approach this together as a group of people who know we have all failed or we all will fail, but we are all redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we'll approach this with truth and we'll approach it with grace. But, but I've got to say this too. This is a conversation for people who desire to be a slave to Christ. If you're here today and you do not desire to be a slave to Christ, then you're off the hook. Like this is not for you. This is the sexual ethic for those of us who have made ourselves slaves to Christ. And so the last thing I would ever want any of us to do is try to hold this ethic as a way to judge the world because the world's not under this ethic. Don't take anything I'm going to say today and go blast somebody on Facebook because that's not the audience I'm talking to. It's not the audience Paul was talking to. It's not the audience Christ was talking to. They were talking to people who want to be slaves to Christ, not people who don't. This is for us, not for them. Don't judge them by a standard God put on us. Amen? All right, so... Our culture has confused this topic. It's, it's difficult for us. Sex before marriage is, is an everyday thing. It's not that big of a deal. Porn is, is everywhere, right? Um, adultery happens every day. Divorce happens all the time. We live in a world where it is so easy for us to justify watching television shows with incredibly high sexual content. I mean, th th this stuff has become commonplace. We live in a world where, where the lines have become incredibly blurry. Not only that, sex and marriage are, are, are ripe fields for idolatry because people begin to idolize marriage as if it's this thing that's going to bring you, ha it's the Jerry Maguire thing, you complete me. And so we've taken marriage and put it on this pedestal as something it can't possibly be, the completion of another person. We've taken sex and idolized it as something we must have and something that's, that's critical to every part of our life. And so sex has become a very confusing topic even for those of us who are of God. Yet into this confusing world, we are called to 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so we are called to take our sexuality and make it obedient to Christ. Everything. Not just the act of sex, but the emotions surrounding it. We're called to somehow take all these things and make them obedient to Christ. And maybe your desires will never change. 
Maybe there's some desire in you, there's some thorn in your flesh that may not ever change. Yet even inside of that, we're called to take that desire and that emotion and somehow find freedom and glory and peace and love and joy by taking that desire and making it obedient to Christ. This is the call for those who desire to wear the yoke of Jesus Christ. And it is not easy and nothing I say today, I say flippantly because these things are difficult. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Um, and Paul, in all four of his books, he talks about sexual immorality in one way or the other. All four of the books we're looking at. But I think this, this part right here, I really feel like highlights the over, overarching view of everything Paul says. And it says this, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food is for the stomach and stomach for the food. God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in the spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And this is the message. And we're, we're in a time together. We're reading this book cover to cover. And from cover to cover, the message is consistent. Honor God with your body. Honor God with your sexuality. And you, you see that line in there about do not unite yourself with a prostitute. It's easy for us to say, yeah, all right, I hadn't done that. Good deal. Uh, but, but what that is really saying, there was, in the temple, uh, he's writing to the church at Corinth, right? And in the, Corinth, in the Corinth temple, there was thousands of prostitutes. It was socially acceptable for a man to unite himself with a prostitute. It was no big deal. So what this passage is saying is our sexual ethic is not based on the culture around us. That's the takeaway here. Our sexual ethic is based on God. And then this theme of sexual immorality runs throughout the whole Bible. This is important. It's important stuff. God cares about this. Our bodies and what we do sexually matter to God. And over and over and over, we see this theme of avoid sexual immorality. And so the question then becomes, what is sexual immorality? And how do we, as those who are slaves to Christ... Honor God with our sexuality. And as I'm reading this book, and as I'm studying it cover to cover, I have become more convinced than ever that there are two God-ordained, God-honoring outlets for human sexuality. The first one may not surprise you. The second one probably will. But there are two ways we can honor God with our body. The first, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. One day, um, Jesus' disciples were, were talking to him 
uh, about some stuff, and they were just sort of debating some things. And, and any time the topic of marriage or human sexuality came up, Jesus gave an answer similar to this. And Jesus said in 1940, he said, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. All right, Jesus says two will become one flesh. When Jesus talks about this stuff, when Jesus talks about sexuality or divorce or, or, or marriage, he, he talks in terms of what humanity was designed to be. And so when Jesus begins to approach this topic, he's quoting from the first, people think Jesus invented this whole new sexual ethic. He's, he did, he's quoting from Genesis. Jesus is quoting from the very, very beginning of the book when he approaches this topic. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So Jesus is simply quoting from the beginning of the book because when Jesus talks about this, he goes back to the core of what it means to be human. So for our, us to have a, conver, a biblical conversation about sexuality, we need a biblical understanding of humanity. God created humanity. See, see God God. God tells us not to create an image of God, right? You all remember that from it. Do not create an image of me. But God created an image of God. Do you know who the image of God is? You. We are image bearers of God. So God creates this thing called humanity. Us, Adam. That is what we are. We are humanity. And we are designed First and foremost, primarily to be image bearers of God. It's why you exist. It's why we sing. It's why we pray. It's why we give. It's why we work. Because we are image bearers of God. And so God takes this, this, this thing called humanity and says, I want you to bear my image because you're created my image. Then inside of this one humanity, God creates two distinct beings. One humanity, two distinct beings, male and female, both the same, but both completely different, <laughs> right? By the way, how God is that? One thing that's the same, yet completely different beings inside of the one thing that's completely the same. I mean, that's, that's the essence of God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, but unique and different. One humanity, two <laughs> different beings, male and female. And then God says, now as, as, as a way to bear my image, I want these two unique and distinct beings to come together for the purpose of bringing new life. It's so gorgeous. He says, I'm, I'm going to take these two opposite yet the same and I'm going to bring them together. And from this, I am going to bring life. And so, 
One of the, one of the primary ways, one of the, one of the immediate ways we begin to think that, that through sex and through marriage we become the image bearers of God is by the production of life, right? And, and, and this is important. And this is incredibly important when God first created the earth. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because if they hadn't, you wouldn't be here, right? If they just sat there and said, you know what, I don't think so. I'm not, I got a headache. I mean, you can only do that for so long before humanity just dies out. They had to be fruitful and they had to multiply, right? And so that, that was one of the big purposes of marriage. And then later on, the nation of Israel comes along. And God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Because you may not know this, but Jewish, the, the, the nation of Israel didn't expand through conversion, Right? They didn't have crusades and thousands of Philistines came and decided, let's all get circumcised. That's not the way, that's not the way it worked. You didn't become a, 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 an Israelite, a Jewish person through conversion. You became a Jewish person through, through breeding. The nation of Israel grew because Jews had more kids. It's like the way Lauren and Craig grow the church. They just keep having kids. I mean, that's how the nation of Israel grew. They just kept going, you know. And so, so that was important for that point in that time. And it, it mattered. And so, and so we need to understand that, that in the Old Testament especially, one of the primary ways that sex in marriage brought life was through procreation. But, but hear me on this. But something changed. Something changed. In the New Testament... Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. And the Old Testament is, I want you to stay home and make disciples, <laughs> right? Now it's, I want you to go and make disciples. Of, of what? Anyone know it? All nations. Now it's different. Now it's not just about breeding disciples it's about going and making disciples. And so I want you to hear this because somebody needs to hear this today. There was a time when the primary way marriage brought life was through procreation and through children. But in the New Testament and today, there are multiple ways marriage and sex can bring life that do not require children. So if you have this Old Testament mindset that has convinced you that sex is only for kids and the only way your marriage will ever bring life is if you have a child, I want you to let that go. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you are married and you decide or you can't or whatever not to have children, your marriage can bring just as much life and glory to the world as any other marriage ever. Because there are other ways marriages today, animals of all kinds, can breed and create life. But the father gave his favorite species some favored benefits. And so how else can your marriage through sex be the image bearer of God? Intimacy. We are the only animal that's allowed to experience intimacy. Intimacy. You and, and, and sex in your marriage, you can bear the image of God when two people are naked together and they are fully known and fully loved, you bear the image of God because it's in the presence of the Father where you're fully known and fully loved. 
And so in, in, in sex, with inside the marriage covenant, and by the way, anytime the Bible talks about sex in a way that brings life, it's talking about sex inside of a marriage covenant with a male and a female in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. Every time the Bible talks about God-ordained good sex, it's talking about male and female monogamous married covenant relationship. And so the, the, the way you do that is to be fully known and fully loved, and through that, life is experienced. The second way you can experience the image of God inside of sex is to honor the covenant. We're, we're called to honor the covenant, and God honored the covenant to his bride, the church, by loving us and dying for us when we did not deserve it and when we could not earn it and when we weren't worthy of it. Yet God still laid down his life for us. So inside of this marriage covenant, when male and female honor this, this covenant, by the way, God sealed his covenant with blood. We seal ours with sex. Who got the better deal on that one? When we honor that covenant, we become the image bearers of God. Another way we can honor, honor God and be image bearers of God through sex, and this one I, I think is so important and so good, is by experiencing deep, deep, deep joy. Sex is not just about joy of the flesh. It wasn't designed for that. Now, I hope that's there. It should be there. But it's not just about joy of the flesh. We are body, mind, and spirit. And sex, when it happens inside of a trusting covenant, sex, when it's mutually beneficial and there's mutual effort and there's mutual nurturing, there is a connection that is body, mind, and spirit that is a connection that you cannot experience any other way. There is something so deep and so real, and you are fully connected, all of you connected completely, and in that, you become the image bearer of a God who created you to be body, mind, and spirit, and eternal and deep, and in sex, inside the marriage covenant, when it's real, that is what you were designed to experience. These are the joys our God has given us. So that we could use sex to bear the image of God. And so for us, for the people of God, for those who are slaves to Christ, we should hold a higher value of sex than any other people in the world. And we should be more careful about what we watch and more careful about what we listen to. And we should teach our kids because we understand that in sex, inside of marriage, we become the image bearers of God. And so it should mean everything. But because we are slaves to Christ, we also become the people who can abstain from sex the longest for the purpose of the kingdom. Some of you guys are like, Dah. I told you there was two options. Two options. The first one was inside of a marriage covenant. The second that's just as glorious and just as beautiful and just as important as this, single and celibate. It's a, it, it, you don't hear a lot of sermons on this. 1 Corinthians 15, listen, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, this blew my mind when I started thinking about this this week. So Paul's writing, he says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are a people to be pitied. What Paul is saying there is, if the resurrection is not true, then pity us. If Christ doesn't come back from the grave, if we're not eternal, then pity us. But we are eternal. And so when, when I tell someone, there are two options in your life. One is to be married in a male-female monogamous relationship. The other is to be single and celibate. One of the first thoughts we have is, you want me to be single my whole life? That is atheist thinking about eternity. Because this is not our whole life. This is a whisper. This is a vapor. This is nothing compared to eternity. So if the resurrection is true, there are those people who will choose to be single and celibate knowing that this life is not the only life they will ever experience. This is just a moment. Just a minute in time. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 7. Now for the matters you wrote. Can you? All right, so he's. This is where I laugh a little bit. So Paul is talking to a, a, a whole bunch of Jewish men who have basically owned women for the purposes of sex and, and procreation. And he says this. Now for the matters you wrote about. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Crucify him. <laughs> they were not happy about this. And they're like, what are you even talking about, Paul? Is it, where is he getting this? But Paul understood that life and fulfillment do not revolve around marriage and sex. And the truth is, there are great things single people can do that people who have spouses and kids can't do. And Paul understood. Now, before you run off and, and say, I'm sorry, honey, I'm leaving you. The pastor said single is better. Paul also said, if you're married, I recommend you stay married. And if you're single, I recommend you stay single. But Paul makes an amazing case for the fact that you can have a rich, fulfilling, incredible life even if you do not have sex and you're not married and you don't have kids. As a matter of fact, there's a relatively important person in our story who never got married he was a 33-year-old virgin. Never got married, never had sex, never had kids. Listen to what he said in Matthew 19, 11. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. This is so good. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can accept this should accept it. So first, what's a eunuch? It's not a unicorn. It's different. Very different. So a eunuch was a, a male slave who was castrated for the purpose of serving in the king's court. And the reason they castrated him was so that he wouldn't sleep with the king's slaves because that's distracting and they wanted his full attention. And so a eunuch is a male who's been castrated. So Jesus, Jesus' disciples are talking to Jesus about marriage and sex and divorce and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of Jesus' spiel on this, the disciples basically say, well, if that's what marriage is, why would we want it? Because they come from a background where men owned women like property, could divorce them for anything, could remarry, could have sex with concubines. Like, if, if that's marriage, I'm out. And Jesus says, if you can't accept my parameters for marriage, 
then guess what? I got another beautiful option for you. He is the only master who gives his slaves choices. He says, I have another incredible option for you. And then he goes into this, this story about eunuchs. And the first thing he said was, and I want you to hear this, guys. There are eunuchs who have been born that way. I want you to hear this. What it sounds like Jesus is saying is, there are those who may be born without clarity around their sexuality. I'm not a scientist. I'm just telling you, it says there are those who may be born without clarity around their sexuality. The second thing he says is there are eunuchs who will be forced to become that way. And there are places in the world where that happens. Um, and the third thing he says is there are those who will choose to live like eunuchs for the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. There are those who will never have sex, who will never get married, and who will never have kids for the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. And who do you think the most famous person who ever did that was? Jesus Christ. Was his life fulfilling? Was his life rich? Is he not our model? And yet, the world idolizes sex and the church idolizes marriage. We force people into these boxes and into these categories. He's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. There's another category. You don't have to get married and have kids and have sex to image bear God. You can be single and celibate and live a rich life and use everything you have for the kingdom. And you can image bear Jesus Christ. And the church doesn't teach this. And this is why single people feel like second-class citizens. It's why those with, with differing sexual orientations feel like outcasts. Because we do not share a compelling message of the truth. It's why there's so many divorces, because we're forcing everyone. I mean, think, from the time our daughters are little, you must get married. You must have a man. You must have babies. Why? Why? Because we decided that? It's not what the Bible says. And so what do we do with this? Let me tell you where I've started in my world. I've changed my prayers with my son and my daughter. I used to pray when Kinley was little every night, God, bring her a husband, bring her a husband, bring her a husband. And, and, and I want that. The humanity in me wants my daughter to have kids and, and have a husband and all these things. But what if that's not God's plan for her? What if her desires aren't what I want them to be? Then my prayer becomes, God, make her complete in you alone sufficient in you and the only man who will ever fully satisfy her is Jesus Christ and my prayer for my son becomes God make him complete in you alone and he will be satisfied in you and he, he won't be a man because he he was with a woman he will be a man because he was with God and that will become my prayer for my son and as a church, we begin to open our minds and welcome people and understand that not everyone feels the exact same way you feel, yet there is a place for them in the church. And beautiful and single and celibate are just as rich as married with kids. And it's all beautiful and it's all glorious and it's all the image bearer of God. And we humble ourselves and we challenge our opinions and our perceptions. And we guard What's right? We 
We guard, man, we guard this beautiful gift. Whether single and celibate or, or married, we guard this beautiful gift. We're careful about what's in our home. We're, we're careful about what's in our heads. And finally, we receive forgiveness. Like, I am not the sum of the sexual choices I have made. I'm a son of the king. And nothing I've done changes that. And I'm forgiven. And I'm free. And I can get to such a place in life where my desires and my emotions and my very being, sex itself, becomes completely surrendered to the glory of God. And another idol will die. There can be only one. Choose this day who you will serve. <laughs>